Hello and welcome to From Fear to Fire, secrets to overcome fear, embrace your gifts, and achieve success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill and I am your host today as always. And today's quote is, let her sleep for when she wakes, she will move mountains. And this is by Napoleon Bonaparte. So we have an amazing guest today and I have adored her every time that I've spoken to her. You're going to love her. Her name is Tara A. Clancy, M.A., and she is a high performance sleep strategist and the driving force behind Hypersleep, the innovative program that delivers the benefits of high-performing sleep to your workplace. Tara works with organizations who want innovative solutions that improve safety, retention, and performance, decrease health insurance costs, and increase positive culture and profits. And when she's not working with clients, hosting the Counterfeit Sleep podcast and speaking to groups, Tara loves hiking, rock climbing and getting high performance sleep. So now, you know, Tara and I have a lot in common and we go a little bit crazy when we start talking. So welcome Tara. How are you today? Oh, hi, Heather. Thank you. I am fine today and I'm very happy to be on from fear to fire with you. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, you know, there's so many things that I want to ask you, but why don't I just give you the opportunity if you would like to share with our guests anything that I I haven't, you know, this is a super brief bio. So is there anything that you'd like to share about your journey? Yeah, actually, and funny enough, we'll get a lot into my journey. (laughs) To tell you the truth as we talk today, because it's a huge part of, of where I am today and what my mission is really in helping people. So yeah, thanks for asking that. And we absolutely will get into that. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well then before I dive into that, you know, for those listeners out there who who come back week after week, you know that I'm I'm a crazy adventurer. So anytime I see in someone's bio that they have something cool like hiking or rock climbing, I've got to ask about it. So um <laughs> when did you start doing that? And and you know, how, where do you do it? Oh, well, so I I started climbing uh, back in, I guess it was like 2011, not that long ago, and usually not the kind of thing that a uh, you take up at, at 40 something. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as we'll kind of talk about today, it was um, it was really um, I took it up just because of the adrenaline, you know, Mm. I I didn't realize uh, that I was dealing with a a sleep performance problem and, and I was tired and I, I really just thought it was part of my, my life circumstances at that point. But, um, I came to find out that it really was this sort of this hidden, um, I had a hidden sleep problem that was really affecting my sleep performance. And it was making me just really tired during the day. I never once suspected that it was my sleep because I was getting enough sleep. It was just the performance during the sleep that was uh, the problem. And so um, I ended up taking up the rock climbing to just give me the adrenaline that I needed to keep going. And again, never connecting the dots between the, um, the sleep problem at night and the energy problem during the day, you know? Oh my goodness. 
That is so fascinating. So you're saying that you actually felt like you had the length of sleep, but not necessarily the quality of sleep, right? Oh, it definitely did. And, and, and honestly, it, I had it my whole life, uh, which I didn't realize I've been living with this problem for like four years, uh, four, four decades. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, um, I would get eight hours of sleep, like, you know, like clockwork, go to bed at 10, wake up at six. And I felt great when I woke up. So how on earth could you have a sleep problem then? Right? Yeah. Well, what I didn't really realize was the fact that I needed to take a nap every day, just a 20 minute nap, of, you know, a power nap. Uh, the very fact that I needed to do that was telling me that my sleep was not performing the way that I needed to. Um, but I never looked at it that way. I just thought, Hey, I just happened to be a napper, you know? So, um, and then of course, you know, as, as life got more complicated, um, and, and that's part of what we'll get into here as life got more complicated, then I, I was sleeping less cause I was getting woken up by kids and then I was mm-hmm. tired. So again, I never thought, Oh, this is, you know, sleep performance, uh, problems. I just thought this is a factor of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and then I had that eye-opening moment, which obviously we'll get into as we talk. Okay. Well, you know, I will come back to this though, because um, I do not get that go to bed at 10 and get up at 6 a.m. sleep. So I may ask you for a tip toward the end. But first sure I want to ask you, I know that you've mentioned that you really love the name of the show from fear to fire. Yeah. What do you like about it? Yeah, I really do. Because I mean, for me, I'm the kind of person that I could sit in front of a campfire to mm-hmm. no end. I just, I love fire. It's energetic, you know, it's warmth, it's movement, movement. It, it, it's mesmerizing really. Mm-hmm. But if you think about ice, you know, not so much. It's, it's cool, literally. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and uh, it can be impressive. I mean, think of any glacier, but there's nothing hypnotic about ice, you know, it's definitely not energetic. And, and to me, that's why we say frozen with fear, because it, it is a kind of a lack of energy, you know, kind of. And so if you are frozen, if you're fearful, you cannot have fire. So going from fear to fire, just, I just love the name of the podcast for that oh, reason. That's fantastic. I hate being cold. So maybe there is definitely oh. more to this than what I had even, even planned when I first came up with it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that phrase, let's look at that for a moment. So you, you said frozen with fear. Yes. People definitely use that. What, what does that mean for you? Well, you know, I mean, I think we've all been in situations where we've been frozen with fear. I think probably the example that stands out in my mind the most is one time when this dog came charging at me. I was about 16 years old and I'm riding my bike on this beautiful summer afternoon. And out of like on the side, I hear someone calling a dog kind of frantically, you know? So I turn and I have this absolute moment of terror when I realize there's a Doberman pincher mm. charging right at me. And I can I can honestly say that I was frozen with fear, you know, seeing this dog coming at me. And then like, thankfully, somehow that moment passed and I kicked into action. You know, I jumped off the bike and I put it between me and the dog, mm-hmm. you know, just to prevent the dog from grabbing at my leg. And luckily, the owner arrived and grabbed the dog and. And so the immediate danger was gone. And, I, and I, I'd be lying if I told you I didn't have to stand there on these wobbly legs for a while because I was I was really 
you know, it really shook me. But I also know that if, if I had stayed frozen, if I hadn't jumped and put the bike in between us, you know, I might be talking to you today with only one leg, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so but that's a kind of acute example of being frozen in fear, sorry, frozen with fear. But I think in our modern world, because there are so many chronic challenges that just bring us uncertainty and bring fear. Mm -hmm. And yet there's no dog owner that's going to come along and solve the problem, you know? So mm. instead, like we have these fears that just can build up slowly and very slowly, they're kind of freezing us. And, and that's freezing happens so slowly that we we're gradually losing our energy, our energy to, to feel and to engage and, and all the things that kind of make us human. Um, but we don't necessarily realize it because it happens so slowly and, and we end up running on autopilot and kind of just, you know, getting through the days and going through the motions, but not really experiencing life on the way that we could otherwise, if we, you know, didn't end up being kind of frozen in this, this fear state. Yeah. You know, there's so many things rolling through my head right now, Tara, and one of them is that it, it always amazes me every time that we speak that I find some other way that we have something in common. So when I was, gosh, I think I was four is one of my earliest memories. I was in my yard playing and the neighbors, Doberman Pinscher, mm jumped the fence, like jumped over. It was, it wasn't like, you know, an intimidating 10 foot fence or something, but it, it was a wooden, probably a four foot fence. This dog jumped the fence and was tearing toward me, barking mm. like, like crazy. And I just stood there staring at this dog. I was absolutely petrified. And my dad was the one who came, scooped me up and saved the day. But so for you, it was the owner of the dog. For me, it was my dad. But like you said, in our worlds now, we don't necessarily have those other people there to rescue us. So mm -hmm. how, if you're a listener who has something that causes them to get frozen with fear, how do you get unfrozen? Yeah, well, I think the important distinction is like looking at the, the two experiences we were talking, which it is a very funny coincidence. That <laughs> so Dobermans, they are scary. <laughs> dogs. Are. Um, so there's an acute thing that can leave some definite trauma, but it, we would probably be a lot more aware of it and, and be more likely to take action because we have a reason for feeling that fear. Mm -hmm. What, what I find with, especially with a lot of people I talk to uh, as well, it's these, these small constant accumulations of fear, you know, oh, I'm running late. Oh, I'm in traffic and I got to get to work. And oh, the, the, the school just called and my kid is sick and I got to, I got to leave work. What's going to happen? You know, and all these things that just build up all this these, this kind of uncertainty and this kind of, it, it builds into a kind of fear and you don't realize the load, uh, you know, and in fact, like this was my, my own story as well, you know, uh, about, um, I guess it was just over a decade ago, I, I decided to divorce and um, I had two kids that their ages didn't even add up to 10, but, you know, decided to file for divorce. I, I, I get a, a new, go back to work full time, new home, um, you know, constantly doing everything, a single mom, like I said, of these young kids and all these new situations. 
And it was a load, like a real load. But I had made a decision that whatever came my way, I was going to work through it that, you know, I knew this was the best decision, and I would just figure it out. The other reason I decided to go back to work full time was because I had wanted the stability of the income in the work when I had been working for myself before divorce, I had variability season, you know, it was very like it, it, it my income varied based on the season. And I didn't want any kind of uh, income variability hanging over my head. I didn't want the worry. So I decided to go back to work full time to avoid that. And, you know, as I said, going back to work with young kids, you know, full time, it was that load. And I didn't even realize while I was in it that I was completely burnt out and unhappy. I mean, I knew I was unhappy with my job, but I was staying because I wanted that predictable income. And again, I, I, I didn't even look at it as being kind of frozen until after, until this kind of, I had this, this situation. And this is actually where we get into the rock climbing story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I was out one Saturday because I used to go climbing every weekend over in the gunks in New York. Uh, well, I didn't go there every weekend, but I, I happened to be climbing there this particular weekend. And I was on, I was climbing this ledge. It's like a 200 foot ledge. And I get, I'm almost up at the top and I can, I can see that this is probably the crux of the whole route, you know, that the tough part of the whole route. And there was a, a big gap between the, the uh, bedrock that I was on and this kind of hanging piece that I needed to reach over and, and get, and it was just farther than my grasp was. It was like almost within reach, but not enough to really hold it. And I realized that I was going, I was going to have some trouble here. This was tough. And I, I looked down, which was the exact wrong thing to do because I'm probably 180 feet up in the air. And I looked down and I get that, that wave that, you know, you sometimes get a wave of fear in your stomach, or at least that's how I experience. I feel that wave of fear. And I'm like, oh God, like, do I really want to let go of this bedrock and leap onto this other piece of hanging, you know? And then I had the realization of like, what other choice did I have? Like nobody was going to come and rescue me. There was going to be no, you know, to go back to the dog thing, no owner, you know, or like my dad, nobody was coming to, to get me from one piece and hold, you know, from one place and hold me and help me to the other side. And so I just said, you know what, like, this is just what I have to do. I need to let go here and I need to leap. I mean, it was almost like a a literal leap of faith. And I, I, it wasn't far, but you know, I did just leapt over, got on, got my hand on the hold and I was fine. And I went and finished the climb and then, you know, you know how it is when you finish a climb, it's exhilarating, right? So it was awesome. And that was great. I had a great time afterwards, everybody celebrating their day of climbing and everything, but it wasn't until Monday morning then. And I went back into work in my, my office and I go leave my office to go to a meeting. I'm walking down the hallway and I'm, I am just so uninspired, you know, having spent the morning in the office on the way to the meeting. And I just I said to myself, wait a second, like I am holding on to this job out of fear of, of having my income dip you know, or I'm not having the predictability of income. And I'm like, I am, I am living in fear here. And that's never a good way to live. And like, right there in that moment, I made that decision that I was going to leave that job, and that I was going to go back to working for myself. And within a month, I did all of that. And 
if I, 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 if I don't, I think if I hadn't had that really dramatic experience of realizing of, you know, of, of having to face that fear in, in, in climbing and then having it work out once I was, you know, willing to let go, once I kind of got up the energy to let go and reach for what the next thing was, I, I'm not sure I would have gone into work Monday morning and made that decision. So, um, so for me, uh, I needed a real concrete experience to that, you know, kind of helped me realize what I was actually doing. You know, the concrete experience was what I was metaphorically doing in my life yeah. and I wasn't happy. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it really helped me, um, get unfrozen, you know, leaving fear, uh, leaving the fear based, um, you know, I, I was living from a fear-based perspective of like, I don't want to uh, deal with a dip in income at some points, you know, uh, uh, during the year. Uh, and that was not, it was not the way to live. You know, I, I, instead I was like, I need to move to more of what I call a strength-based perspective of like, Hey, you know what? I have figured it out every time I needed to, I've gotten to the place where I want to be. And I will be able to do that again, as long as I I put myself into the thinking and the situations that allow me to do what I can mm -hmm. rather than, you know, sitting back frozen in fear. Yeah. You know, I love this so much. And, you know, it's one of the main reasons why I do so many different kinds of adventures, some of them being things like rock climbing. And I have climbed the gunks. It's, the, it's a great place to climb, yeah. but it's because it puts you outside of that comfort zone and it teaches you things um, quickly that it could take you years to learn otherwise. So that gets me to this question of does getting unfrozen or unstuck or, or out of that fear state have to be a slow process or can it come in kind of that, that flash, like you got it from this lesson that you learned when you were climbing, or is it a combination? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think, I think, uh, based on my experience and, you know, having listened to enough Ted talks and stuff like that, I think there does tend to be that flash moment where you're like, boom, I'm making this decision, mm -hmm. but it does seem to be that there, there is some builds up to that flash, like almost like, um, on the 4th of July, you know, if you have to light a sparkler for a kid, you know, mm -hmm. how long do you have to hold that lighter to that sparkler? It takes quite a bit. And then it, it's, you know, you know, making all the, the, this beautiful sparkling, uh, kind of, uh, you know, lighting and stuff like that, but, but it takes a while. There's an accumulation of heat that has to, um, sit there on that spark, uh, that, that sparkler. And I think it's the same thing here that, you know, it, it, it's, there's an accumulation, there's enough thought you have to, you have to be willing to put some thought in and really, you know, say, how's this working for me? Am I happy here? Am I not? And whatever, and figure that out. And as you're doing all that work, then I think that does result in that flash kind of moment. If you kind of find the situation that allows it to kind of all accumulate, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I think another factor too, is that, you know, it depends also on how long you've been frozen, you know, mm -hmm. like, like, let's say, you know, something just happened last year, like even with uh, this pandemic, I'm sure a lot of people are walking around in this, you know, somewhat frozen state with all the fear and uncertainty that we live with now. Yes. So, I mean, you know, 
if it if it has uh, been a rel- relatively shorter duration, let's say you were great before the pandemic, and now there's this acute thing that has put you into the state. Well, then you'll you know you'll thaw, if you will, a yeah. lot faster, right? You know, like right. you know, thawing an ice cube compared mm-hmm. to thawing a glacier. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's been your whole life, like let's say you had some childhood trauma or something that has really you know kept you in this sort of running on autopilot and like less than you really are meant to be running, well, then it might take a lot longer, you know, because there's that much more, um, Mm. you know, to get through more, that much more of a block of ice, if you will, to kind of get through. I I think the big thing though, is that it is absolutely possible uh, because the human mind is is extraordinary. and, And when, you know, once somebody puts his or her mind to it. I think what we can do is, is amazing. You know? Oh, it is. I totally agree with that. I mean, once you set your mind to something and that's what happened for you, you had the, the flash of the decision, but then there's all these other things that have to come after you make the decision, the the actions to make it happen. Now, if you're, you're looking back right now and you're, you're looking at that decision, looking at the things that you did to, to go back to running your own business and getting out of a job that you hated. Um, what do you think? I mean, it was a good choice, right? (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's another funny thing that happened in there. I made that decision and, um, you know, and, and just as a sign note, also, I've, I've always been very health oriented. I was kind of, uh, you know, sick as a, not, not sick, like majorly sick, but I had uh, like a lot of annoying little things that I've always dealt with, you know, a stuffy nose that led into chronic sinus infections, and then, you know, skin problems, and then asthma, and then gut stuff, all these things Mm. that were always kind of building up that I eventually got to the point of just like, you know what, like, I need to figure this stuff out. And I realized that, um, diet was a huge thing for me. I had a lot of food sensitivities that I wasn't aware of. So I put um, quite a bit of energy into fixing that. And I'm happy to report that I really, I was able, even able to reverse the asthma uh, in my, my very, um, my very early forties. I was able to reverse the asthma just through dietary changes and everything. Oh, but as I mentioned before, yeah, it was totally awesome. But I still had this energy problem. I still was so tired with, you know, being a single mom, working full time, two young Mm -hmm. kids. And I never stopped to think that maybe, uh, even though I was feeling a lot better, that maybe there was still an underlying reason that I had this kind of this energy problem. And, And then- you know how sometimes something bad happens, but it actually turns out to be good. You yes, know, yep. that, that's what happened. I, I was uh, I was in a, a, a small car accident. Just somebody kind of sideswiped me. But the way the car moved made my kind of my head move in an unfortunate way. And I ended up with some like neck and shoulder pain that just wasn't going away. I ended up ultimately going to this new doctor um, an osteopath actually, who I'd never even, I never even heard of an osteopath quite frankly, up until that point. Um, and he was doing some work that was really helping with the pain. And, and then ultimately he said to me one day, you know, I think you might have a sleep, a sleep problem. And I was like, no, definitely not. You know, I tell him the whole thing. Oh, listen, I, I sleep like clockwork, you know, I wake up, I feel great every morning. And, and then he was the one who said to me, you know, but didn't you say you nap every day? It's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> so he's like, you know, if you sleep, if your sleep is performing the way that it 
should, then you should be able to perform all day. You should be able to get enough energy for your, from your sleep to run all day. You shouldn't need a nap. You shouldn't need caffeine. And I was making tea with two tea bags by that point in my life. You know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't need adrenaline from rock climbing just to keep you going. So he really got me thinking. And I really started to do a, a lot of work to look and see, you know, what was the root of this sleep performance problem that I had? And that's really what, uh, you know, I, I came to work on. This was actually back in 2015 that this first came on my radar. And that's really the work that I've been doing since then. First of all, just to kind of help myself get over this, this hidden problem that was giving me a sleep performance problem. And then also to really correct it so that I could, could move really into high performance sleep that really does energize me for the day. You know, I I would say like, yeah, high performance sleep at night equals high performance period during the day, you know? Right. uh, You know, and I never thought about it, like bringing it into an organization and helping companies that must really help the the team performance overall. Is that that's one of the things that you do? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, I think, first of all, we've been conditioned to believe that being tired is just a fact of normal life, you know, Mm -hmm. and we do recognize when we're physically tired, right? Because people say, I woke up and I, you know, I had to get my cup of coffee to get going, but then I was fine. But you know what, like, that's, that's like a hack, really. That's, you know, figuring out a way to get some energy during the day, like a compensation. Um, So, you know, and that that's helping, like I said, physically, but we don't necessarily consider the relationship between the mental effects that you have, like your, your, your focus and your productivity, right? We know if we've had a bad night of sleep, like let's say when you go to bed with a head cold, you wake up the next day and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I need to do? I, I, what was I supposed to do? Oh, I missed that meeting. I missed that. You know, and you're like, listen, mm-hmm. I, I had a bad night of sleep. I have a head cold. Am I, I'm just not with it today. But what if every single night you're getting, uh, you know, low performance sleep? Well, then your performance the next day, your focus, your productivity, all that is going to be impacted. So it's, it's beyond the physical. It's into that mental focus piece. But then there's another level as well. Our emotional functioning, it, you know, if you have somebody, um, who's irritable, right? Or somebody who's on the team that's just a naysayer. Very often, those will be people that are are dealing with a sleep performance problem and they don't feel it physically necessarily and they don't feel it mentally necessarily, but boy, the emotional piece is where they just, they just can't, uh, that's, where, that's where the impact is for them. Mm. So everybody feels it very differently. And we really, um, we haven't made those connections as strongly as we can if we want to really improve um, everything in the workplace, you know, from from productivity right on down to culture, it really, uh, you know, if you if you show up with the energy that you need to run through the day on a physical level, mental level, and an emotional level, then you're going to be much better off if than if you show up without the energy you need there. It's it's kind of it's like a, it's it's actually the reason why we put our our phones, if we think about why we put our cell phones on the charger at night, it's mm. so we have a full pad, a full battery the next day. Right. Right. And if you, if you forget and you know what happens before you know it, that phone is in low power mode. 
-hmm. And there's capacity there, there's potential, but you can't access it because the energy that you need for it isn't available. And we're the same way. If we go to bed and we, you know, we charge ourselves up 100%, then we're able to access all the capacity that we have as we run, run through our day. And if we don't, right, if we're getting low performance sleep, then we are, um, you know, we, the capacity is there, but we just can't express it. We just can't be who we are meant to be oh my God. Know, during the day. You know, I'm sure that there is a lot that goes into, you know, helping individuals and teams, but is there something that a tip or a strategy that you could provide for our listeners now that they could use to help with their sleep? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the work that I do revolves around two components and that's what makes it unique. I mean, most people are familiar with sleep hygiene uh, and that's like kind of like setting yourself up for a good night of sleep. But what I combine that with that, and this is unique, is this whole sleep integrity piece, because that was where my problems rested. Um, and what is sleep integrity? Well, you can think of it like a bed, actually, you can think of the whole things like a bed. If you think of uh, a bed, what, what's the base layer that you need, you need a foundation, right? That would be your sleep hygiene, the foundation. But you're not going to get a good night of sleep. You're not going to wake up feeling great the next day if you're trying to sleep uh, on, a, on a box spring, really, right? Mm -hmm. um, the box spring, I, I don't know if I mess that up. The box spring would be the basis. And if you try to sleep on a box spring, forget it. You're not going to feel great the next day. So, but that it's important. Uh, and that would be the sleep hygiene. Then what do you need on top of, of the, the box spring? You need the mattress, and the mattress is like the sleep integrity. It's like what is actually going on while you're sleeping to allow you to, to allow your brain to repair and recharge and, um, and therefore give you all the energy that you need for the next day. So one of the biggest things um, and, uh, that I talk about for anybody starting out, I'll give you two actually, one in, in kind of the, the box spring uh, level, Mm -hmm. And then one in the, um, you know, the mattress, the uh, sleep integrity level uh, for the for the box spring level, the foundation. Most important thing is make sleep a priority. And that means, you know, we, we schedule everything if we want to get it done. Well, schedule your sleep, set mm -hmm. aside nine hours of your day literally. Right. So eight hours would be for the actual time to spend in bed sleeping. And then an hour to really set up the conditions for sleeping. Um, mm. And so if you, and, and people say, I don't have nine hours to commit <laughs> to sleep, right? I mean, that's our problem in our busy, busy world. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need a little bit of a mind shift to say, well, wait a second. If, if I, if I don't give myself the time to get a fully charged battery for the next day, then everything I do the next day is going to either take me longer or not be done as well as it could be done or just really not go anywhere at all. So it's really an investment in having the best day possible on the day after a good night of sleep. So like I said, there's a little bit of a mind shift there. You will do better with everything if you approach it with a fully charged battery and you get that fully charged battery from the full night of sleep. So that's the first thing I would say, make it the priority, schedule nine hours. Um, the, the next tip I would give you, and this gets into more of the, um, 
the mattress level, you know, the sleep integrity level. Um, and it goes with vitamin D. Uh, optimize, make sure that your vitamin D level is optimized for your latitude. Now, what does that mean? Well, our we need vitamin D to um, to to sleep well. We need it for a lot of other things, but we need it to sleep well. And we have a chronic vitamin D insufficiency um, for a couple of reasons. One, because we all walk around fearing the sun and we've learned to use sunblock and we cannot make vitamin D um, when we are wearing sunblock. If we're not wearing sunblock, we can make vitamin D from the sun. Um, so we end up with a chronic, uh, a chronic insufficiency because we, we uh, block the sun. But then there's a second level to that. And that's where we get into the latitude piece. We can only make vitamin D at certain times of the year, depending upon our latitude. And where I live, um, I live like, um, like New York, Chicago, uh, kind of uh, latitude, I forget what parallel is called. Uh, but you can only make vitamin D from the sun for, um, um, from around Memorial Day to Labor Day. So then that leaves really nine months during the year where you are without vitamin D supplementation. Mm -hmm. So that's why it becomes so critical to take vitamin D, um, you know, when you're not able to make it from the sun. I know you're a little south of, of where I am, but I think really it's only if you're like in Southern Florida, in the U.S., right? If only if you're in Southern Florida that you're, you're able to make it all year from the sun. So, so basically most everybody should be taking vitamin supplementation um, when they're not in that time when they can make it from the sun itself. And here's actually a funny side note on vitamin D also, Heather, that may blow your mind. If you look at the recommended the recommended levels for vitamin D, it's like to have thirty um, whatever nano units, whatever measurement it is, um, a level of thirty. And if you look at any more natural health practitioner that's really deeply embedded in you know the functioning of the body, most of them will tell you you really need a level that's at least double that, and and, and often between sixty and eighty. And so you think, well, but why would, why would the recommendation from the government be 30 then if we really need 60 or 80 for the body to run properly? And the answer is this, because once you hit 30, you're no longer at date in a danger of getting rickets, <laughs> you know, oh rickets, the God. bone disease that gives you weak, yeah. weak, uh, bones. So they're, they're, you know, looking to be safe, but cautious, not wanting to over recommend, um, but saying, all right, look, a, a bottom, you know, bottom line, we need to make sure nobody gets rickets. So let, what do we need to do <laughs> to avoid rickets? Okay. And then, and then they're not really thinking beyond that. Right. So, so that would be my top Money. recommendation. Check that, get your vitamin D level checked. It can be a simple draw in your doctor's office mm -hmm. and, and know that most researchers, uh, not researchers, uh, practitioners find that their patients need between 60 and 80 um, to, uh, to really have the body function as it should. There's actually, I did a, a, an interview with a, a, um, Dr. Stasha Golmanak, who's amazing, uh, especially on this vitamin D topic. And, um, and she says that 
we shouldn't even call it vitamin D. We should call it hormone D because of all the different things that it affects in the body. Wow. So, and, and sleep absolutely is, is among the top ones for, for some people, simply improving the vitamin D level can restore healthy, um, healthy sleep. So it's definitely something to look at. Thank you so much. This is great. I love something that people can actually go and think about or do right away. <laughs> These are good ones. Yeah. And, you know, you've just given us so much to think about. I, I hate how quickly this show goes by because I could keep talking to you for much longer. Um, but I'm certain that there are people out there listening that really want to know how they can get a hold of you. And I think you have something special too, don't you, for the listeners here? Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, maybe we'll just sum up in general. We were talking about being, you know, kind of frozen with fear and then how to um, go from fear to fire. I mean, what I would say is, you know, look, look at titles on personal development, you know, you can find a lot of great stuff uh, if you want to make that journey, right? Look into mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Start doing some reading. Of course, um, talk with a trusted friend or a colleague to, to really, once you start saying things, they become more real and you can kind of uh, massage them more and, and get more comfortable. Um, and then, you know, maybe even think about talking to a therapist because that can be a, a great way to really move forward. Um, and then I would say above all else, if you're ready to begin in this journey, make sure that you're giving yourself the energy that you need to go from fear to fire, right? To do that thawing that we were talking about. And I would say, you know, the first thing that you have to do is to make sure that you're not dealing with a sleep performance problem, you know, like I was, and I do have a sleep performance assessment. Uh, and you can, um, it, if you go to my website, which is hypersleep.com, that's H I P E R sleep.com and put slash F F T F, which stands for from fear fear to to fire. fire. (laughs) Uh, If you go to that website, you can take the sleep performance assessment there. uh, And, you know, and you'll see what it's all about. It's, it's a small investment, but it's really incredibly valuable for um, really being able to figure out what's going on with your sleep and how to make it better. And, And hands down, sleep is the key to the journey, wherever you want to go. Sleep gives you the energy you need for the journey. I'm going to go do that assessment and um, we'll make sure to put that link as well as the, you know, the link to your, your regular website in there. Um, Everyone who's listening, if you love this show, uh, share it, send it to a friend who's having trouble, who's been complaining about sleep, send it to them, let let them listen in and benefit as well. Yeah. You know, before we close this out, Tara, do you have any final parting words of wisdom? You did such a great job of summing everything up, but is there anything else that you think, you know what? I really want them to know. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one thing I think is, and it goes back to this idea of the energy and the sleep, uh, as well. It's really like, you know, if you can, if you can think it, if you can have that thought, then all you really need is the energy to make that come to fruition. And if you're not feeling that energy, you know, do what you need to get the energy. And in my experience, it really does start 
with sleep performance. So, you know, really give yourself the, don't just accept that. Hey, you know, like, like I did, don't just accept, Hey, of course I'm going to be tired. I'm a single mom working full time, you know, mm-hmm. think that there, there may be something more for you because in, in, in most cases there really is, you know, think it and then, you know, give yourself the energy to, to do it. I love that. That's fantastic. And you know me, I am a huge proponent of energizing and doing different things purposefully to give yourself the energy so that you can, so that you can do everything that you want in your life. Right. Absolutely. Amazing. I'm so appreciative of your time here today. Thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. I love talking with you, Heather. And everyone, make sure to to come back and, and see us next week. Have a beautiful day.